The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where each and every week we work really hard to bring you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business, which I got to tell you, folks, when the market is changing as fast as it's been changing over the last 18 months or so, that can be a challenge. I feel like I have to keep rewinding to topics that it feels like we just did because that something has happened. <laughs> Interest rates have gone up. Uh, there's been a new law. The amount of inventory in the market has cratered. You know, something, something new. It's not just, it's not, it's not just like, like it was from 2016 to 20. 22-ish where it was just accelerating amounts of the same thing. You know, prices kept going up. Inventory kept going down. Interest rates kept going down. It was like the same thing for years in a row and we were just kind of, you know, what do we need to do to deal with this market? And now dealing with the market has taken on a whole new meaning all of a sudden. Uh, which means I'd like to offer the congratulations to the uh, 20 people who were able to grab the WMKV Fund Drive deal last week on OREA and the uh, National Real Estate Strategy Summit that was, uh, those tickets were donated by OREA. You guys put a pretty good amount of money into the coffers of a small public radio station. So yay for you. And also now you get to come to the summit on November the 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and 5th here in Cincinnati and um, hear from a whole bunch of people who've been in real estate for a really long time and who are successfully navigating and continue to make money in the market even as other people are just sitting on the sidelines because they're like, I don't understand this and I need to go back to the way I'm used to or I'm not going to be able to make any money. The fact that there are no more uh, WMKV tickets does not mean there are not any more tickets. You can still get uh, seats at oreaconvention.com. That's O-R-E-I-A convention.com uh, for a little while. We can sign up a total of 900 people to be there in the hotel. And as of this morning, there were 830 signed up. So y'all can do math because you're in real estate. You know, that doesn't leave a bunch of seats. So if you didn't get a chance to get one last week, get one now, oreaconvention.com. Now, one other thing before we start talking about private money, and that is uh, OREA is also holding 
a free six week uh series of it's really it's really like expert discussions on Zoom. Like most of the weeks have three, four people who are all doing something that is uh similar but they're doing it in different ways. And literally, I mean, anybody can attend because it's on Zoom and also anybody can afford it because it's free. Uh, the first one was this last Monday. So if you weren't already registered, you did miss that one. But this next one next Monday is uh, four experts talking about the secrets of actually finding deals in a market that is kind of inventory choked. Of course, they're all finding them off market and they're all doing them in are doing it different ways. Uh, we've got one who's doing direct mail, but only to a, a very specific limited list of people. We've got one who loves door knocking. Uh, we've got one who uh, says the secret to success is really not so much in how do you find the deals, but how, how do you organize your follow up to the deal? So it's a good event. You can also register for that one at oreaconvention.com. And what you're looking for is right at the top of the page, there's a pinkish button and it says, sign me up for the refocus six week series or something like that. So if you click that, that'll uh, register you for not just next week, but the other four weeks as well, which are on different ways to find funding without banks, um, alternative assets that create bigger cash flow out of single family homes, asset protection, and, uh, you know, protecting your wealth, and then finally building relationships. So there we go. All right. So today on the show, we are talking about private money. We can't seem to talk enough about private money. Everybody's like, that's the gold standard because you don't have to, you don't have to depend on any sort of lending institution. You also don't have to only find deals where the seller can and will finance the house for you. It's, it's, it's third party money that's pretty easy to get and often the terms are better than you can get from me or one of those other two people anyway. So we've discussed this from, I don't know, a number of perspectives over the years. And now we're going to get yet another perspective from Jay Connor, who is a guy who has been buying and selling houses since 2003. He's in, he's in into decade two now of his real estate investing career. One of the interesting things about Jay is he does this in a a, a city that only has a population of 40,000 people. So all you guys who call and send questions going, well, I live in a small town. Can it even be done in a small town? Okay, I guess the answer is yes, because Jay has done over 475 houses and his average net profit these days on one of those houses in that little town is $78,000. You might recognize his name because he is a national speaker on private money and foreclosures and some other things that he does. He really has a passion for teaching people, particularly about the joys of private loans. And he is, of course, also one of the featured speakers at the 2023 National Real Estate Investing Summit. He is joining us by phone from his home in Moorhead City, North Carolina. Jay, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Thank you so much, Vina, for inviting me to come <laughs> along here today and to talk about and visit on the subject that I'm the most passionate about, that being private money. And the reason I'm so passionate about it is because just this one strategy, this one thing in my real estate investing business private money has had more of an impact, more making more of a difference 
in mining Carol George real estate investing business than anything else we've ever done or ever learned how to do. Well, boy, Jay, if people didn't know you from you were you were from the South before you started talking, you just completely gave it away. If you're if you're trying, <laughs> I've been to, told it's sort of hard to hide this. You know? <laughs> if you were trying to pretend like you were from the Midwest, it is not working. Um, I, I actually love your accent. You remind, you remind me, you always remind me of like a, a preacher because you're you're super passionate. You got that accent. I love it. <laughs> So, so let's, let's start by getting people acquainted with you. Um, like what, what is your story? What, what was it that, what did you do before 2003? What made you decide to get into real estate? What made you decide to get into private money? Sure. Well, I was actually, Vina, I was actually raised in the housing industry, specifically affordable housing. So the mobile home industry, manufactured housing. As a matter of fact, my dad, Wallace Connor, who, by the way, is getting ready to turn 90 years old and is in the midst of three developments right now himself. Mm. When I grow up, I want to be like him. Well, at one time, he had the largest mobile home business and it was vertically integrated. He manufactured them, he financed them, he insured them, he sold them, the whole nine yards. So he had the largest company in the nation with 175 retail locations all over the nation. So the only reason I share that is that I've been around helping people get a home really all of my life. Well, unfortunately, all the way back in 2002, 2003, the majority of the financing on that product, the consumer financing on that product for people that wanted to buy mobile homes virtually went away. The whole industry fell out of favor with Wall Street. Well, I knew for years, all the way back to the beginning of the 1990s, I knew if I ever got out of mobile homes, I wanted to get into single-family houses and flipping houses. And, of course, this was before HGTV got popular and people even knew what that was. Well, the reason I wanted to get into single-family houses was because Carol Joy, my wife and I, we got some good friends in Newburn, North Carolina, about 30 minutes up the road, and I was selling mobile homes way back in the early 1990s, trying to make $3,000 on a single-wide mobile home, and our friends flipped a house uh, in less than 90 days and pocketed $30,000. I said, hmm, I think I want to do that if I ever get out of mobile homes. So that's what sort of got my interest. So in 2003... Carol Joy and I went full-time in single-family houses. Now, for goodness sakes, for everybody that's listening, don't screw up and make the mistake that I did of starting this business by myself. Thank goodness you're listening to an expert such as Vina herself, being associated with the summit that's coming up, getting your education. Because I tried to do I got there and do this thing by myself. Our first year, we just did three houses made some big-time mistakes. I mean, I don't even have time to go into all that. So anyway, I was using Vena when I started. All I knew how to do was use the local bank to fund my deals, my real estate deals. I thought that's what you did. I thought that, you know, you just had to go to the bank. I'm, I never heard of hard money, never heard of private money, never heard of self-directed IRAs. I didn't know none of that stuff. And so I was using the bank to fund my deals. Well, that worked fantastic 
from 2003 until January of 2009. <laughs> my first six years, everything's going along pretty well, using the bank to fund my deal. Vena, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was in my office. I called up my banker. His name was Steve at the time. And Steve had been funding my real estate deals, my single-family houses, for those first six years. And I called up Steve, and I had two houses under contract to buy. And I learned very quickly over the phone that my line of credit had been shut down with no notice. I said, Steve, what do you mean? What are you telling me? I've lost my line of credit. I've never made any payments late. I got an 800 credit score. Why am I being cut off? He said, Jay, don't you know there is a global financial crisis going on right now? I said, no, but now I got a crisis going on. Because I got these two deals under contract representing over $100,000 in profit, and I have no way to fund my deal. And so I sat here for a moment in my office, and I thought to myself, who do I know that can help me with my problem? Well, Carol Joy and I at the time had a real good friend. We still are. His name was Jeff. He was living in Greensboro, North Carolina. And I called him up, and I said, Jeff, you're not going to believe what just happened. And I told him. He said, well, welcome to the club. I said, what club? He said, the club of losing your line of credit at the bank. I said, well, you lost your line of credit. I said, what are you going to do? And he said, well, have you ever heard of private money? I said, no. He said, have you ever heard of self-directed IRAs? And I said, no. And so I knew he had told me something. I wasn't sure what it was. And so I went to study in private money very, very diligently. Less than 90 days went by, and I was able to attract and raise Two million one hundred and fifty thousand in private money. Now I don't share that to pat myself on the back. All I'm saying is I learned about it, and I put on my teacher hat and I started teaching people that Carol and I had an association with—just regular individuals we went that we go to church with, the Rotary Club, Business Networking, and International. Taught them my private lending program that I had put together, and now they—they were chasing me, wanting to know how they could get involved. So this experience, you know, was the biggest blessing in disguise I've had in our business because if my banker hadn't cut me off, Vina, you and I wouldn't be having a conversation today. Your life would have been very, very different. And when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about some just basic J stuff that I think is going to resonate with other people. Like, for instance, what in the world made you so confident that you could go out and get $2.15 million in 90 days? Listeners, we are also taking your questions. Uh, you know, I may not, I've got a list of things I want to ask him, but you probably have different things that I won't say. So, Either give us a call at 877-772-9658, again, 877-772-9658, or send your questions in to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing, talking today to Jay Connor, who is a real life investor and also has built a huge amount of his business around the availability of private money to fund his deals over the course of the last, well, since 2009. And um, listeners, I want you to, I want you to really put yourself into this position. Like, like it's, it, it, like today, all these years later, 
it, it's great. He figured it out. It, you know, he got, he got real successful at it, but imagine that you are a rehabber and you are full time. And so that's your source of income. Your wife doesn't have a job except that she's also working with you on rehabs and you find out in one day that your entire source of money for fixing and flipping properties is gone. <laughs> like you, you didn't even, you don't even know any other way and it is gone. That, that is, that is a very, very bad <laughs> near sometimes tragic moment in the life of a real estate investor, but I mean, Jay, that's kind of how it is if you're, if you're always depending on the bank, you know, to, to fund deals for you because banks go through those phases where they either don't like real estate anymore for a while, or they don't like you anymore for a while, or they, I've had them get nervous because I, I owed that bank too much money. Never, mm -hmm. never mind that I'm paying it. They just, they just, their board just gets nervous about, well, you know, we've got a lot of our eggs in that basket and we should really lay back and you're not in control of any of that. The thing is, Jay, I mean, you, you, t you said, well, I, you know, I found out about private money. I studied private money. I went out and raised private money as if it were, yeah, it was all, you know, just what you do, except you had also only been in business for six years at that point. And I think a lot of people who hadn't been in the business for 20 years would, would be sitting around questioning themselves, right? Like, who's going to loan me money? Like, do I have enough experience? Are they going to trust me? Do I know people who have enough money for me to close these houses and fix them? What, what was it about your particular experience or mindset at that time that made you go, yeah, I can do this? Yeah, so there's more than one or two um, secrets here that I'm going to share as to how I went about this starting out and how I even go about it now. You said a really, really important word just a second ago, Vina, and the word you said was mindset. That's the first thing that I had to get straight. That's the first thing that a real estate investor, whether you're brand new, looking for your first deal, and I'm sure we have a lot of listeners here that are looking for their first deal, whether you're in that category or you've already done a bunch of deals, there's one thing we want to get straight about this world of private money is the mindset. Now, by the way, when we're saying private money, we're not talking about borrowing money from any kind of institutions. We're not talking about borrowing money from hard money lenders or any other kind of institutional money. Now, by the way, just as an aside, I would say when it comes to hard money, establish as many relationships as you can with funding sources. I mean, I've got some very, very dear friends that have their own hard money brokerages that they loan money out to. In fact, they use my techniques to go raise money for their funds. So establish as many relationships as you can. Let's come back to the mindset. How do we get this straight first? Well, here's my first piece of advice on your mindset. And this is the way I started about doing it to where you asked me before the break, uh, Vina, you said, how did you get so confident, Jay, to go out there and be raising money and you hadn't done it before? How, how did you put that together? So here's the first piece of advice on mindset. Never ask for money. Never ask for money. In all these years, since 2009, I have never asked anybody for money. In fact, in addition to that, I've never pitched a deal. 
And people ask me all the time, they say, Jay, how do you have $8.5 million in private money available to you for your single-family houses, and you've never asked for money, and you've never pitched a deal? Well, let me unpack that step by step. First of all, never asking for money. Well, you see, the reason that sounds so far is because most people, that's all you know how to do. That's all I knew how to do when I was borrowing money from the banks. Because, you see, when I was borrowing money from the banks, I went to the bank and I got on my hands and knees and I put my hands underneath my chin. And I said, please fund my deal. Please fund my deal. Because, you see, the bank or the hard money lenders, the bank, they're making the rules. They're setting the interest rate. They're looking at your credit score. They're setting the loan to value. They're setting the frequency of payments. They're looking at your verification of income. They're looking at your financial statement. They're setting the rules. Well, the reason I bring this up is because when you're raising private money, it's the exact opposite. I'm not uh, borrowing money from somebody that's setting the rules. I put my own rules together. You see, what I do is I put, how, how do I get money without asking for it? Here's the answer. Now, I'm talking about getting money from what we call your warm market. I'm not talking about doing business with existing private lenders. I'm talking about, in this category of private lenders, your own warm market that you teach people what private money is. And you teach them your program, right? What interest rate are you going to be offering? How are they protected? Um, how can they get their money back in case of an emergency? What's your maximum loan to value as to how you're going to, you know, protect them? So I put, that's the answer initially. I put on my teacher hat and I started teaching people what private money is and how they can get high rates of return safely and securely. So here's a, here's a, here's a beautiful way and easy way for everyone to understand how to teach it without asking for money. I'll tell you a short story. One of our very first private lenders I got when I, came, when, I, when I was cut off from the banks and I learned about private money, it was on a Wednesday night at Bible study here in Moorhead City. We go to the Church of Christ on Barber Road, and I went there at 7.30, and I walked into the foyer, and I walked over to a fellow, let's say his name is Frank. I walked over to him, and I had known him for a number of years. He'd known me, and I said, Frank, I got something I want to talk with you about confidentially. Can we visit for a few minutes after Bible study? He said, well, sure. So Bible study went on. We finished up, and we walked down to the nursery after we were all finished. I shut the door, and here's exactly what I said to Frank. I said, Frank, you know everybody in this town. And he did. He was the original Zenith television dealer. Now, if you don't know who the Zenith television dealer is, that means you're just not old enough to remember what life was like prior to Walmart coming to town. Because, you see, you used to get your televisions from the Zenith television dealer. And I said, Frank, you know everybody. You put a television in everybody's house around here. You know everybody at the Rotary Club. And here is a very, very powerful phrase that I said to Frank. I said, Frank, I need your help. Now, notice how I'm not going to ask him for any money. I said, Frank, I need your help. I said, I've now opened up my real estate investing business to people that I know and trust and have a relationship with. And when you run across somebody, Frank, that's complaining about the volatility of the stock market or the little bit of interest that they can earn in the local bank, would you refer them to me and I'll tell them about my program? He said, now, Jay, what you got in mind? 
I said, well, Frank, you're saying you might be interested? He said, well, yeah. Me and my wife are only getting like 3% in the local bank. And he says, what kind of rates are you paying? I said, well, it depends on the deal. And I said, what sounds high to you? He said, well, I don't know, maybe 5 or 6%. I said, well, Frank, I can't pay you 5 or 6%, but I can pay you 8%. He said, put me down for $250,000. So the next day, I went to his and his wife's home. I went over the entire program with him, which only takes about 20 minutes to talk through. They pledged 250000 By the way, private lenders always have more than they tell you. But they started with two fifty, and they, they pledged that money. Now, watch this quickly. I didn't tell them anything about those two deals I had under contract. You see, because desperation has got a smell to it. And if I had told them about my program and the deals I needed funded, now I'm desperate. So I waited a few days, and I called up Frank and his wife with what I called the good news phone call. I called up Frank. I said, Frank, I got good news for you. I can now put your money to work. I got a house in Newport with an after repair value of $200,000. The funding requires 150. I know he's got 150 because he already told me. And I said, uh, it's in Newport after repaired value of 200. Funding requires 150. Closing is next Thursday, so you'll need to have your funds wired to my real estate attorney by next Tuesday. He said, okay. Now, listen, I didn't ask Frank if he wanted to fund the deal. That's the most stupid question in the world I could have asked him. Of course he wanted to fund the deal because he was waiting for the good news phone call. So what's the takeaway there? We're not chasing because we're leading with a servant's heart and we're actually teaching people how they can earn high rates of return safely and securely, and then we separate the conversation of them having money and then having a deal for them to fund. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so much so much good advice there in, in the form of a story. So let me... Let me try to summarize what I heard as like action items for our listeners. Number one, certainly you were forced into having this conversation when you already had deals under contract because mm-hmm. you thought you were going to have you were going to have funding and you didn't. It's probably better to have these conversations even before you have deals under contract. Oh, absolutely. That would be the ideal worst situation. time to be raising money is when you need it. <laughs> okay. So second second thing is you went to this guy and instead of asking him for money, you asked him for his help and, yes. you know, flattered him. You know, it's, it was true, but it can, you're, you're a connected guy. Can you help me out here? Of course, the law of reciprocity says that when you, you know, ask people for something or offer them from something, they, something they tend to respond to that in a positive way. And then instead of going to their house and saying, okay, here's how much money I need you to have. You more mm-hmm. expl- you more explained. Here's kind of how it's going to work. Here's the paperwork that's, that's going to protect your investment. Here's kind of the range of interest rates I might uh, be able to pay on any given deal. And uh, if that all sounds good, here's your next step. And wait for my phone call. And so by that time, they were probably so excited, like because they understood what was happening. They understood that you you were going to have the insurance. You were going to have the documents. You're going to have all that stuff. Mm-hmm. That they were just like. I wonder when we can get that money out of the bank at three and put it with him at eight. So Mm -hmm. very different approach than the people who I see come to RIA meetings and literally wander from person to person saying, do you know any private lenders? Because I need money because I've got a deal that's supposed to close next Tuesday. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. You know, Vina, 
you've been around a long time. In fact, in this world of real estate, you've been around longer than, than me, and that's a long time. <laughs> but I know, I'm getting ready to say something, Vina, and I know you've heard it, and I'm probably going to hurt somebody's feelings when I say this, but I'm just going to talk from my own experience. And that is, I hear, I've heard some educators and other real estate investors out there say this phrase, and it makes me want to crawl the wall. They'll say, just get the deal under contract. The money will show up. (laughs) And I want to say, where? Where's the money going to show up? Is it just going to, like, fall out of the cloud somewhere? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm just not excited about getting a deal under contract, and I have no idea how <laughs> how this thing's going to be funded. I don't care if you're buying creatively on terms, subject to the existing notes, seller financing, paying all cash. I want to know how I'm going to get that deal funded. And so that's why I practice the money comes first. I mean, just think about how much more confident somebody's going to be when they got $250,000 or $500,000 pledged to you, burning a hole in your pocket, waiting for you to make offers and put the money to work. So I say, <laughs> get the money lined up for goodness sakes. And, you know, I see people all the time getting $500,000 and more lined up, ready to go to fund deals in 30 days or less. Because after all, after all, there's always deals. There's always going to be deals, right? Get your, get your money lined up and your program first, and then you're going to have all the deals to do you want to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this would be a good time to say before we take a break and then go to listener call or listener questions, um, there are laws underlying raising private money. And even if we did a whole show just on laws about advertising, laws about how many people you put in a deal, how much money you can raise, all that kind of stuff. We wouldn't have time because those laws vary somewhat from state to state. So before you go out and like just start wholesale uh, talking about private money or putting on your Facebook page that you're raising private money or anything like that, go to your local real estate association, find somebody who's aware of and has researched those laws, have them point them point you at them like the Ohio's law take it's two pages long it doesn't it's not like it takes a legal degree to read it or that much searching to find it but you should definitely find it because there are some states that a lot of states are pretty loose about it they're like hey if it's backed by a piece of real estate we don't really care that much about it but there's other states that they're very like picky and ticky tacky about how you have to do this. So obviously it's just like with everything else. I mean, purchase contracts vary from state to state. Everything varies from state to state. Go, go check out yours before you go do this. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk more about uh, getting private loans with Jay Connor and also take your questions at 877-772-9658 or via email at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing, talking today to Jay Connor about his own life as a real estate investor and how discovering private money um, saved that life and then changed that life <laughs> as uh, time evolved. Now, um, I flipped out of my inbox. We have a question here from Alan. He says, 
Jay, I gather that your primary use of private money is to rehab and then resell houses. So I assume that you're you're negotiating hard money type terms in the sense that the the loans might be one year long. What about those of us who need private money for long term investments in things like rentals? That's a great question. So in the world of hard money, with hard money, typically those notes are going to be six months, nine months, maybe 12 months. But in this world of private money that we're talking about, when I borrow investment capital that's just liquid, I set the term at two years. And when I'm borrowing uh, money from my private lenders that have retirement funds in a self-directed IRA company, I'll set those notes at five years. So the beautiful thing about private money, the way we're talking about it, there's no hurry to pay it back. So, for example, I, used, I do use a private money on flips, but I also use private money when I have paid all cash for a house and then I have gotten it ready to sell on rent-to-own or lease purchase. And so on those terms, on rentals, I'll do those for like two years. Here's the key. If you can get, or not if, when you get a positive cash flow, which I've done this on countless houses, selling on rent-to-own, positive cash flow between what I'm bringing in per month and what's going out on underlying debt to the private lender. Now, I do want to say this. As far as monthly payments and frequency of payments, when we're doing a flip on a house, then we may just let the interest accrue until we cash out on that house, if I'm only having that house for six months to 12 months. On the other hand, if I've got a rental, if I've got money coming in per month from my tenant, I want money going out to the private lender monthly as well. So at an 8%, that's what I pay all my private lenders right here today and what I've been paying them for years, even with the increase in interest rates in recent times. I pay them 8%, and when you buy right and you're buying at a discount, you're going to be able to get that positive cash flow. And so the bottom line answer is, depending on how you structure the deal, you can use this same private money for flips or for the long-term rentals as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, of course, there needs to be a plan B on that on that two to five year money on the lease options, because it is unfortunately not always the case that every lease option buyer buys exactly when they're supposed to buy. <laughs> and As a matter of fact, very few of them do, right? Some, well, you know, when I when I first started when I first started in real estate, that was what I did was entirely uh, selling on lease option. And for my, you know, my first six months a year, I was like, okay, this is great. In October, property A is, is going to pay off because that's when their, you know, option is up. And then in December, property B and then in February. So we'll be able to take vacations in October and buy Christmas presents in December. And boy, I got, <laughs> I got handed the reality of that pretty quickly because, mm-hmm. you know, a, a lot of my, a lot of my tenant buyers did end up buying. I mean, unless they got a divorce or got a job out of town or something, for the most part, if if I gave them long enough, they bought. But it was never on my schedule. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was always on their schedule. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, the the plan B could either be, um, hey, Mr. Private Lender, if I have to get an extension on this, is that going to be okay? You know, maybe I can give you maybe I can give you five hundred bucks for an extension fee or something. You know like what, that. Vina? I'm so glad you brought up these extensions. You know, it's really funny 
when I started out, I thought when the term came due, the private lender is going to want to be paid off. And in the majority of the cases, like over 90% of the time, the private lender, they never want the money back. In fact, when I'm cashing out on a deal, I'll call up my private lender and say, hey, I've got this house for sale. We're cashing out in, in a couple of weeks. And invariably, if they're like a new private lender, invariably they'll say, can't you just keep the money? Can't you just keep the money? Well, the answer is no. I can't keep the money unless I've got it secured by real estate. At least that's the way I do it. I never borrow unsecured money. We always back it with the real estate that we're investing in. But most of the time, these private lenders, I mean, stop and think about it. Where else are they going to get these kind of rates of return somewhere else that's safe and secure? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've had that conversation where people say, but you're paying me off a really stop. No, don't keep it. And it's like, um, okay, so it's not me. I would love to keep it. It's more the SEC that puts me in a different category when I've got somebody's unsecured money sitting in my bank account. Then uh, I love you. I'll try and find you another property real quick. But uh, no, I kind of legally have to give it back. And I, and I think, you know, I think I think private lenders respect it when you do things by the book, right? When there's when when the when the money goes to a closing attorney instead of to you. When the documents are prepared by an attorney when they're officially notarized and recorded by usually the title company, right? A third party. I think and when you're following the law, even if they even if they're not aware of what the law is, I think they I think they respect that and it gives them a higher level of comfort that this is all good. Absolutely. All on the up and up. And I'm so glad you brought that up, Vina, because always close with the professionals. Always close with the professionals. And, you know, when you're doing business with private lenders that you have exposed them to private uh, private lending, never heard of it. I mean, Carol Joy and I have got 47 private lenders right now, individuals, and not one of them had ever heard of private money until I taught them about it. None of them had ever heard of self-directed IRAs. By the way, there's a writer downer. Over half of our private lenders are using retirement funds to fund our deals. So you better have a relationship established with a self-directed IRA company that you can refer your new private lenders to. But yes, like you said, Venom, we look after our private lenders. We not only protect them by giving them the deed of trust or mortgage, which collateralizes the note, but in addition to that, we also name our private lenders as the mortgagee on the insurance policy. That gives them another layer of protection, and, you know, if there's a claim against that property, the insurance company is going to make that check payable to the lender, the mortgagee, and to our company as well. So the private lender's got to sign off on that. We name them on the title policies, additional insured. And the thing of it is, when you're doing business with private lenders in your warm market, you are educating them, and they're looking to you to look after them and do it the right way. Mm-hmm. And in and, and a sense, and this is why... Oh, I, I hate it when people just hear the term private lending and maybe watch a YouTube video about it and then go, oh, yeah, I can totally do that. I got family members who can give me money. I got this. I got that. But they don't actually know how to protect those folks. And mm-hmm. then invariably something goes wrong and they are in a mess because they, mm. they didn't know the, the steps like they didn't know how to, they didn't know that there was supposed to be a mortgage in a note. I've, I've met, in the last three weeks, I've met local investors whose uh, family members loaned them a lot of money to rehab a house, and there was no mortgage. 
Oh, my word. They had a note, but no mortgage. And I said, well, mm. what, what happens if you get killed in a bus crash and <laughs> ne- next week and they have to, you know, get rid of the house to get paid back, but there's no sign that they're actually owed anything? Well, there's the note. Yeah, that doesn't attach it to the house. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's this is this is one of those areas where it's just... It's just involved enough. It's like just legally involved enough that you really need to understand how to do it right because doing it right for them protects you. Mm-hmm. If something if something does go wrong, you know you have done you've dotted all your I's, crossed all your T's. No nobody, no regulator or court is going to say, "Oh, you messed this up. You did everything you were supposed to do in terms of the loan." And uh yeah, that's that 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 protects you as well as them. Uh, okay, so we have a question here from Val, which is, so Val, at the beginning of the show I said there's still tickets to the 2023 summit. You should go to RioConvention.com, check it out, get a ticket. And she apparently scrolled down and looked at your presentation because <laughs> we got all the, <laughs> we got all the speakers up there, and she said um, there's a bullet point in Jay's descript in Jay's. Uh, description that says you can get paid three times when using private money. (laughs) (laughs) Can he explain that? (laughs) Now, now, now listen guys, you, you, you get that at the summit, which you should all be at. Um, he's got an hour and a half to talk about this stuff without me interrupting him every 10 seconds. So like, like if you really want to hear this whole story, you need to be there, but, um, can you quickly explain what that means? Cause I'm, I'm guessing Val's going, that's impossible. Right, right. Well, you know, the tra- and Val, thank you for the question. And we, and we will drill down on this when I got a full 90 minutes, but let me unpack it here in the time we've got. So the, the reason this is such an interesting question, how do you get paid three times, multiple times, on the same deal when you use private money? First of all, the reason it's so interesting and unbelievable up front is because the traditional way of borrowing money is you only get paid one time. <laughs> and that's when you, like, if you're flipping a house – when you sell a house, like that's when I get my money. Or if you're renting it out, of course you got you know rental income coming in, etc. So here are the three times, at least three times that you will get uh, money on a private money deal without ever taking any money of your own to the closing table. Now let's stop right there. I will tell you when I first learned about private money, I said, wait a minute, nobody out there is going to loan me money without me putting in what people call skin in the game. Got to have skin in the game. That's as in me writing a check. Steve the banker for the told down you that. Or whatever. Well, actually, in this world of private money, all the private money deals are really a no down payment proposition. And here's how it works. By the way, none of this works unless you're buying right and you know how to find the deals and you can buy at a discount. So when do you get your first check? You get your first check on a private money deal when you buy the property. Now, here's a good rule of thumb, and if you happen to be taking mental notes or writing things down, you definitely want – this is a writer-downer right here. Here's a, here's a double check. If you're paying all cash for a property using private money or your own money, if you're using private money to pay all cash for a property, 
here is a double checkpoint, and that is if you can't borrow enough money that's conservative, protecting your private lender, if you can't borrow enough money to bring home a check when you buy, you paid too much for the property. So how does that work? Well, as I said earlier, our maximum loan to value is 75% of the after-repaired value. I didn't say 75% of the purchase price. This is in the program that we teach our private lenders. 75% of the after-repaired value. So let's say I got a house for $200,000 with an after-repaired value. Well, if it's got a rehab involved of, say, $35,000, well, I buy those houses all the time at 50% of the dollar. I'll pay private money, I'll cash $100,000. Well, if I can borrow 75% of the after-repaired value, well, what's 75% of two hundred? $150,000. Well, if I can borrow $150,000 from the private lender and I'm paying 100000 when I buy it, then my favorite phrase on my real estate attorney's check stub is excess cash to close. And I love me some excess cash. So we always bring home a check when we buy. Now, your private lender is counting on you to perform, right? You're bringing home a check. If I'm bringing home a big check... Well, that's that's rehab money right there. So they're counting on you to deliver and perform on that deal, right? Mm -hmm. So we get a check when we buy. The second check you get is if you sell, this is a big if, if you sell it on lease option like Vena did forever when she started out, then you'll get a large option fee. That's the actual legal term. Most real estate investors call it a non-refundable lease option deposit. But you'll get that if you sell it on, on, on lease option. But if you don't sell it on lease option, the next check you get is when you cash out. So how do you get that check? Well, the check you're going to get when you sell is what you sell it for. Let's say that same house after repaired value, $200,000. Well, you're still going to owe the private lender 150000 because you were either letting the interest accrue or you were making interest-only payments. So here's another writer-downer. The principal loan amount remains the same until cash-out. So in that example, we'll sell it for $200,000. I owe the private lender still one hundred and fifty, which is what I originally borrowed. So I'm going to bring him a $50,000 check less realtor fees, if you're selling it in the immutable listing service, less closing costs, and less any interim interest to the private lender that you haven't paid. So to quickly recap, when you buy, get a check. If you sell on terms, get another check. And then when you cash out, get another check. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And J- Jay, that's a perfect place to end because we are exactly dead out of time right at Woo! this moment. Uh, you guys who ask questions that we didn't get to, I will either forward them to Jay or if there are things I can tackle, I will tackle them on the next question and answer show. So don't panic. Um, make sure that you come see Jay if you're coming to the National Summit here in Cincinnati, November 2nd through 5th. If you got tickets, you should be getting a confirmation letter in the next couple of days. If you don't have tickets, you can still get them at oreaconvention.com. And while you're there, click that button at the top that says register me for the free six-week refocus seminars. And I will uh, talk to you all uh, along with a whole panel of experts about deal finding next Monday night on Zoom. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. <music>